What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast where we choose one overrated movie and one underrated movie, uh, similar in tone, theme, or you know any other reason we see fit, and we we argue or we debate whether each one has merit. Uh, I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Octavia Kozak. That's right. And this uh, on this episode, episode number 48 of Over Under Movies, it's Octay's Picks. As he said last week, or on the last episode, uh, I think I believe you said, Octay, that we're going to be dickheads on yeah, this we're gonna, episode. We're all, we're all dickheads on this episode. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an official dickhead in more ways than one. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Multi-levels. I'm, I'm bringing Many you guys into of... the, the wonderful world of Philip K. Dick for this episode. Exactly. It's it's Octa's beloved Philip K. Dick, an author that I know I know you're a big fan of. We've talked about his work um, a lot, especially in, you know, uh, with the uh, many movie adaptations that uh, that have been borne out from his work. So um, this is definitely a you know, I know this is a, a big one for Octa, a personal one. And it's uh, one of the picks is a movie that I've floated before as an over, uh, as an underrated pick. So this is a really uh, exciting one to do. Um, both of these picks are, as we said, Philip K. Dick adaptations. The the underrated is going to be A Scanner Darkly, the 2006 film. But we're going to start with the overrated, which is... Uh-huh. You ready for it? Well, 1982's Blade Runner. She's a replicant, isn't she? I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot one? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Took more than a hundred for Rachel, didn't it? She doesn't know. She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. Um, uh, or is it 1991's Blade Runner or 2009's <laughs> Blade Runner? Right, right. It depends what version. And maybe maybe we start there, Octa, or maybe you get to that. But um, lay it out there, man. Why, why are you trying to break so many fanboys' hearts? Yeah, I mean, I guess before I uh, before I have to start signing up for the witness protection program, uh, I would like to clear out that I really like Blade Runner. It's the you know this show is not is not bad and bad good movies. Like we don't pick like bad movies to counter with a good one. It's overrated and underrated. So uh, the concept of overrated is like you know you can get a movie that's just like so hyped up and everybody loves so much, and you look at it and you're like, this is really good, but you know it's not. It's not like that amazing, and that's that's what I get out of Blade Runner. It's like Blade Runner is that one film that I don't love. I really appreciate. I really like. I really uh, I really appreciated the its influence, like the the way that that it basically influenced science fiction cinema for until today and it's going on from now it's going to keep happening um, I appreciate all that stuff I really like the film but it's like to me uh, you know whenever I tell people that uh, 
I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan, and I'm a big science fiction fan, uh, and I'm a movie guy. So people immediately bring up, like, oh, then Blade Runner must be your favorite movie. And, uh, and I'm always like, it's, 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 I have this weird relationship with Blade Runner where, where um, it might be the only movie that I don't truly love that I've seen more than like 20, 30 times maybe. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I, almost, I watch it like almost once every year. And every year, because of all the hype that surrounds Blade Runner, because of the cult of Blade Runner, uh, every year I go through the same experience as if I'm suffering, suffering from like the memento uh, short-term uh, memory loss where uh, right before I watch it, even like the, today when I watched it again for the 30th time or whatever, um, I fall into the hype right before I start watching it. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm watching this in the uh, downstairs in the projector room. Uh, the visuals on the Blu-ray is going to be like amazing. And then um, by the time we get to like towards the middle of it, I'm just like, yeah, I really appreciate this. It's it's uh, visually and artistically, it's incredibly stimulating, but I don't, um, I don't feel emotionally connected to it. I don't feel the kind of... You know, I, I feel like people, a lot of people approach uh, Blade Runner as if it's like this really heavy uh, philosophical um, hard science fiction film. But to me, it's like people kind of ignore the, uh, to me, which is to me a fact that they ignore the fact that um, I, I, it's, a, it's an action film first and then with bits of uh, neo-noir and then it's a hard sci-fi movie that delves into issues of like what is reality what is consciousness what does it mean to be human uh which are all you know and and the uh, philip k dick's biggest uh one of his biggest themes is like the 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 fragility of reality the fickleness of reality how everything you know to be real and to be dear and close to your heart can just like you know because people are so uh, fragile and our, our reality that surrounds us is, is so subjective that everything can just crumble at any second and a lot of his books are about that uh, so it's it's that's not really what the film is about it it, it dabbles in the, those themes and the book gets really gets into those ideas uh, and mm -hmm. it's like to me it's it it kind of turns into like too much of an action film where it's like it's like the video game structure before that was even a thing where it's like he has to go through the replicants one by one and he gets to like it's like he goes to um the guy's apartment and uh you know he has to kill Pris and then he has to have the big fight with Rutger Hauer um you know just like going like to through different bad guys and you have the big fight and then you have the big uh the big emotional finish that everybody uh, loves, and uh, to me, it's those elements are like they look more like afterthoughts to me for Ridley Scott. I don't, I don't look at Ridley Scott as a very emotional uh, filmmaker to begin with. He's he's an incredible technician, um, and yeah, that that to me, like, there's it doesn't capture it. It picks up what Philip K. Dick was trying to do and turns it into this like really exciting, interesting sci-fi action movie but it doesn't really to me it doesn't capture this like um intense 
philosophy and uh, the way that Philip K. Dick looked at the world and the way he tried to like so hard to get his message across, it doesn't really capture all that. It 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 kind of tries to, and maybe I'm coming from like a more cynical point of view because I'm I'm a big fan of the book as well, and the book is the book has this like really sly sense of humor. It's so much more absurd. It's to me is so much more interesting. So. It's a uh, it's a film that I love visually. I understand that it's you know the it's a uh, it's a milestone in cyberpunk filmmaking in uh, science fiction you know production design cinematography everything you can possibly think of. It's it's incredibly well paced, incredibly well put together. The acting is great, uh, all of that stuff. But it's like I just I keep revisiting it, keep revisiting, thinking I'm gonna have this emotional. Finally, again, I have this emotional connection to it, and I never do. I just, I just really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So after all that ranting, you know, <laughs> did you guys, did you guys uh, catch up with it again? I'm pretty sure that you, you guys have already watched it like multiple times and all that. Yeah, I mean, my position is quite similar to yours, Octa. In fact, like that's why I'm gonna let Ryan chime in here real soon because you, you've articulated a lot of my thoughts on the movie. Like, I always get excited every six months or ten months to like watch this movie throw on the dvd and it's like the opening 20 minutes i am just enraptured i'm like oh this is so great it's like it's all that world building is obviously the best thing about Mm -hmm. this movie it's ridley scott's world building and the the visuals the production design design um all that's so good and then it really lulls for me and i i honestly i've i've taken more naps watching blade runner than (laughs) i can think of and i still really like the movie but i have to admit i my revisit a week ago, watched with my girlfriend. We both fell asleep in that middle saggy kind of section. <laughs> yeah. And I woke up as I always do for that last 20 minutes, which is pretty great when that, you know, that I mean, during I mean, that it's a big... great action movie, like going through one exactly. bad after the other. It's not true, like, true. a you know, sophisticated, uh, hard sci-fi dealing with like all these like, uh, philosophical issues about what it means to be human. The way that our underrated pick does really well, I think. True. True. And I mean, I, I also, um, I, I guess just as like an opening thought, like another thing of interest is like, really it's the influence of this movie. That is its biggest like pop cultural impact. I think is like we, people love this movie legitimately. I understand, but uh, I'm mostly with you Octa, where I, I, I think it's like a good movie, but it kind of does deserve to be labeled overrated as I see it. But yet you still see the influence on even, I think, Octa on your last overrated pick was Watchmen, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, I think that course. was your last. And you see the influence even in that movie, which came out four or five years ago. I mean, that, or, that was uh, Ryan's un, uh, overrated pick, but I, I think it's on. Oh, that was Ryan's yeah, pick. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, you're right. Exactly. When we had our dread Watchmen yeah, I, episode. I, I, That's I, right. I love Watchmen. Right. And you, you're right. And um, but you do see the influence on a movie like Watchmen. You see how Blade Runner helped sort of pioneer a certain aesthetic that Zack Snyder well, pretty, pretty much any dystopian like metropolitan futuristic city with flying devices yeah. and pollution and all that stuff it's it's either like like if it's if it's dystopian it's going to look exactly like Blade Runner if it's utopian it's going to be influenced by Metropolis like it's like those two <laughs> that right like it's like the it's like so, flipping a coin basically you know it's, and that's why you see exactly that's why it makes sense that Christopher Nolan like based so much of the de- the design of Gotham in in Batman Begins and a lot of that that first movie in his Batman series was based heavily off of Blade Runner. So I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of sense. That was hell. Even the Coruscant scene in Attack of the Clones is very Ooh, yeah. Blade Runner uh, esque. So oh, yeah. I mean, Star Wars fed into 
Blade Runner, Ridley Scott kind of did his own thing visually that oh, became the, the staple, fifth, and then fed back into Star like Wars. A, the Earth and Fifth <laughs> Element is like a brightly colored, shinier version of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Babylon AD. Wah, yeah, wah. it's it's like, it's like the same kind of like uh you know yeah of course, it's like the same kind of uh like like it's like uh, it's uh high giant towers that like split the sky and uh it's like two hundred three hundred four hundred uh floors and it's like very multicultural like all the cultures have like kind of meshed together into this like one giant right. place and all that stuff like all of that comes from uh really comes from Blade Runner, that, 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 that aesthetic. And, and as far as, like, visually, as far as that aesthetic is concerned and how, it's, how that world is built and how it's photographed, I think it's still the best out of... It's, I, I don't think it still hasn't been beaten. I mean, is there... Is there uh, just, just completely on the visual side of mm. it, uh, can you guys think of any other uh, film uh, after Blade Runner that, aped, that clearly aped its look and style that to you like that topped, looked, it? That topped it that like looked bad nah. yeah. that's this the thing that's oozing with you know visual style and, and oh, atmosphere so it's I like mean, just, i just the opening alone uh, is, is uh, the, the, the the with the close-up of the eye which is of course really scott is like is in love with 2001 uh that's the movie that made him want to be a filmmaker so of course you have the giant close-up of the eye with the with the cityscape and the fires coming up it's like that's just the first like minute of this movie it's just like it sucks you in no, I came ready to, you know, be the defender of this movie and you guys really aren't helping my case a whole lot because <laughs> I it's been a really slammed week at work, so I just caught up with both these movies, uh the our underrated last night and this one today and you know, I got home and I started Blade Runner and about that sagging middle section, I did the dishes and started a load of laundry. So I, I, I came ready to defend it. But then, you know, I hear about taking naps during it. I was like, oh, shit, that was the point where I started doing housework. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I do I still do love this movie. And it, it's and it's not because it's one of those movies that demands you to love it you know it's kind of one of those movies in the pantheon of great films that it's like this is a movie you must love like i mean kind of like the godfather like it's it's up in that conversation but i do i I don't think this movie is as good as the godfather but that's apples and oranges i still do think that this is it's an excellent movie in terms of like you said craft in style in tone like even though it sags in the middle for me i will say i i just love getting lost in this movie it does sag but you know, I still love that. And we, you know, everyone knows this, but we still haven't touched because I don't for whatever reason. But it's it's a film noir, too. Actually, yeah. Octa, you did say it's a film noir. Yeah, it's and a, a neo noir. And a, exactly. I think it's, it's an action movie and a neo noir first. And then it's a science fiction film about like, you know, Philip K. Dick style, like hard sci fi philosophical themes. Right. My three favorite genres. So it's kind of wrapped into yeah. one delicious uh package so i don't know i i can't like i said i came ready to you know like pull things and defend it but then you're like oh these are the i like it for all these reasons but then this and now i'm like now i'm stuck <laughs> you're like uh, oh i guess you guys are right like before, before no, we, it's, before we started it's, the before we started the podcast you're just like i'm gonna cut his head off and shit down his throat and now, now you're like now you're like oh, wait, well, well maybe you know, it's cool. Yeah, maybe, getting ready maybe. for the fight. Did you did you put your like Rambo style? Uh, I the did. Black, black, now... black camo on your uh, cheeks and stuff. 
a, a little bit. But then I think about it too, and it's like the other point too. We've taught uh, Eric brought it when he introduced the episode. Um, you know, there's been many movies based on Philip K. Dick's works, and a lot of them are really, really good. And I think of Blade Runner. To me, I think just because of its influence is the best but then i have to think like okay which one have i watched more and it's like total recall takes that one yeah, yeah takes, it's like far and away for me so it's like that movie's got the rewatchability so i don't know that's, it's that's so tough... much fun and engaging it doesn't have a lag like um blade yes. runner does and also like it's it's to me uh i mean we'll get into scanner darkly but to me scanner darkly is the most loyal philip k dick adaptation uh as far as just like a movie based on a Philip K. Dick property that works so well as a standalone movie on its own. My favorite is Total Recall, because mm-hmm. because it's it's a, it's an unembarrassing like like uh, not un- unembarrassing. Sorry, it's a it's a it's kind of a shamelessly it's it's so like self proud schlock mixed <laughs> with um, that only Paul Verhoeven with, can do. Yeah, exactly. That only Paul Verhoeven too. That that it's schlock mixed with some pretty engaging and kind of fascinating questions about life and what it means to be human, which Robocop does that in an amazing way as well. Uh, that, you know, you get the, you get the guy who's like melting, they get like turns into a million pieces and then you get to ask the, uh, and then you're just like, yeah, that was fucked up. And then you're just like, yeah, what does it mean to be human? You know, it's like, <laughs> so to- Total Recall is like that for me. That That's why I love Total Recall so much because it, they, they somehow managed to, uh, capture like a silly balls of the wall, fun Arnold Schwarzenegger movie at, at his prime. Um, Mixed with, like, they did a great job also of incorporating all these, like, very kind of archetypal Philip K. Dick questions about, like, what reality is and how reality can be tampered with and how your mind can be, you know, just like that paranoia of, uh, you know, the is your life even your own? Are you in control? Um, you know, are your memories betraying you and all that stuff and, like, what what's real what's simulation if a simulation is as good as real then what difference does it make uh that's what it kind of ends up in and and i think total recall is more emotionally and viscerally engaging in that way i think there's there's an inherent coldness to uh blade runner that even though you get the idea that at least in a in a screenplay adaptation uh perspective um i think you're supposed to be emotionally engaged in the romance between deckard and uh, Rachel, and you're supposed to be emotionally engaged in the plight of the antagonists of the replicants who want to live longer, and they're like yearning to live longer, and you're supposed to like, you're supposed to empathize with them. And I don't get that. That uh, like, do you guys feel that kind of intense emotional connection that the characters are supposed to, uh, or or Ridley Scott is supposed to be like, you know, creating for you? Not, I mean, for me, that's where I get hung up in, in that middle section of the movie because it devotes a lot of time to it is is even the way that romance kind of starts between Sean Young and Harrison Ford. It's like visually and it's like so much of I guess it feeds into how I feel about the film. Visually, those two look amazing together. Like they look like they would have beautiful children <laughs> and they kind of they look like they should be together. But the way the scenes play out and then the subsequent questions of like, who's a replicant and who becomes who we think is. And it like all that stuff sort of does the, the cold kind of distant 
POV of the film does sort of, you know, create a barrier to really getting invested. And the only reason I get invested at the end with Rutger Hauer and his whole time to die, it almost, I mean, really to me, it, it, a lot of it feels like out of nowhere, but because like it's shot so beautifully and the, the, the finale on that rooftop is so like just brilliantly composed and everything, but also fucking Rutger Howard just knocking that speech, that monologue out of the park. I mean, that's why that's famous. Well, is... it, it actually did come out of nowhere anyway. It was ad-libbed on the, at the oh, scene. Oh, wow. It wasn't in the I script. honestly didn't know that. Okay. Uh, that, that well, whole, the, the whole speech that people refer to whenever uh, they talk about like, oh, yeah, the Blade Runner's like uh, philosophical, like hard sci-fi depth. Uh, right. People always come back to that, that speech, that iconic speech. And it wasn't in the even in the script. It was, uh, Rutger, as far as I know, Rutger Howard, um ad-libbed it uh and they just you know they kind of worked on it on the day of the shoot and they kept that speech in there but uh it was supposed to be, and you can kind of tell because it's like a it's such a sudden tonal shift because you're like yeah you've been trying to kill this guy for the last like brutally like and it like, does come out of nowhere yeah, yeah it's, exactly. like, it's like breaking his fingers one by one and like fucking him up really really bad and then Popping right at his the head end through walls and yeah shit. and then and then right <laughs> in the end you're just like Okay, I'm gonna give this like, you know, really somber speech about life and death and how much, how much weird stuff that I've seen and all of that is just gonna disappear now that I'm dying and all that. Then and and then I'm like I'm like if you were if this was if well first of all the whole climax of the film it's like it's like it practically it doesn't make much sense to me apart from you know the fact that okay you know he has to of course. It's the it's the video game logic of the film. It's like he has to go through one replicant after the other in an episodic way, uh, and then you get to the big bad boss guy, who, who which is Rutger Hauer, the big leader. And of course, there has to be an you know extended fight uh, action sequence and brutal and all that stuff. And but then you know you get to that end and you're just like he knew he was gonna die. He wasn't gonna survive, and he only has like a couple of hours left. And he knew that was gonna happen. Why you know spend the last if you if you were gonna be like so melancholic about your life, why why spend the last like five ten minutes of your existing existence beating the shit out of this guy who's like trying to kill you? <laughs> I mean he's he's trying. I mean of course I mean Harrison Ford is trying to kill him, but he could have just like escaped and be like I'm gonna die in ten minutes anyway. Why do why do I give a fuck if this guy if I like brutally torture this guy and murder him right before I perish? So all that stuff like. It just—it's just the convenience of an action climax that I see there. That—that that kind of bugs me because the the technical achievements of this film, and the way that it's—it's it's just so gorgeous and so like engaging. It it that that stuff like that kind of disappoints me. Like the like the typical thing about like, you know, the bad guy's about to kill the hero and then he gets shot in the head in the last minute by someone else and. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just like there, there, there are a lot of like I think people kind of overlook because the movie is so gorgeous and so influential that I think and it ends so strongly. It, it ends, yeah, like, it ends greatly. I mean, the 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 director's cut and the final cut, the theatrical yeah. cut ending is like the, one of the goofiest endings you'll. When his voiceover see, you know, like, pops up after he yeah, dies, yeah, like, yeah, that's oh, pretty it turns bad. Out, it turns out we we didn't. It turns out Rachel <laughs> didn't have the four year lifespan. Who would have thrown? They're in the car and they're just like smiling and laughing at each other. It's so it's so ridiculous. But, it's uh, as bad as that Brazil happy ending oh, that man, they tagged. Yeah, that that, that one is worse. That's that one yeah. is like horrible. But yeah, it's a. Uh, but it's it's yeah it's the, that stuff kind of makes me go like I think people kind of overlook like how many 
like kind of tired action cliches there is in this movie because it's so beautiful and influential i don't know what, what do you guys think about that what do you think about that ryan um i was gonna say the coldness even though it does put a barrier between uh you and the movie i do think it's important i think to scott's mm. vision and the sort of ambiguity of who is a replicant or not because without that i mean if, if you had people showing like genuine emotion then it would be difficult i guess like you'd be like oh well, that person's clearly not a replicant like they would stick out like a sore thumb mm. um so i guess for me i think that's uh important but it also does make it tough i can't i can't dismiss that but i i i think it I think it helps the overall vision of the film for that coldness. Kind of, it, it is it is fitting, but it's like one of those things where it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you. Do. At least for me, yeah. as a viewer, where it's like, yeah, I, I, you're you're going for it, and that's the right steps to take. But yet, for whatever reason, I just, I just, it's kind of like, well, I know you're, the movie's kind of telling me I should care about these two coming together, but I just, I don't really, and. But man, those are some pretty pictures, you know, that's just, that's mm -hmm. like, yeah, and, exactly. and I mean, God, the other thing too, I mean, this movie sounds so great. Like the Van, the Vangelis score is like, it's yeah, so it's amazing. So like there's so much iconic stuff about this movie that I could never dismiss it outright. But yet, um, I think a lot of what me and Octay especially are responding to with this is like, it's just the cult of this movie is so strong. And Ryan, I mean, you're, you're making plenty of good points as to why this is a, you know, a canonized movie for a lot of people. A lot of people do think this is as good as The Godfather. A lot of people think it might be better than The Godfather. And a lot of people um, think this is the best movie or the best science fiction movie ever made. Like it has right. Like this is fans. Uh, right. It's not even a cult anymore. It's like it's been the slow brewing cult yeah, for thirty years because. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it is an established. Like people just think it's a canonized great film, and um, yeah, I, I I think that's why maybe not to call this a soft underrated. It's just one of those. It's. It's like Octa explained in the, at the top of the episode. It's like it's it's more complicated. We're not saying this movie's bad. It's like it's just um, maybe worth seeing. Like, uh, are there faults in this movie? Even if you love it, you know, if you're a person that loves Blade Runner, um, and Ryan, you've kind of already admitted that. Like, there there are things you can sort of fault the movie on, but yet there's so much to be impressed by, and it's um, it's not like damning praise by any means to say how influential a movie has like this has been. It's been, it's so influential that the fucking total recall remake tried to look like Blade Runner for some reason. I don't know if you guys yeah, saw yeah, that. Of course. Awful I had the unfortunateness I, of seeing that. Oh yes. man, we all did. That is a terrible movie. And I saw that on my birthday. That was oh, a bad oh, shitty no. birthday. <laughs> well, no, it was a great birthday, birthday, but it was, <laughs> I, uh, the movie was <laughs> shit. <laughs> Just the Boogie Nights score just follows Ryan as he's watching that movie. <laughs> well, yeah. at least, at least the, uh, Ridley Scott is involved with the sequel and uh, the director is, you know. Yeah, that might uh, be worth talking uh, a little Den bit Dennis, about. Dennis Villeneuve, right? The yeah, Scar right. Sicario guy. And... Yep, Sicario, he made Prisoners, which there are a lot of playlisters. Um, uh, our, our our man in charge, Rodrigo Perez, has been a big fan of like uh, Prisoners, Prisoners and Enemy. It is, right? Exactly. And he shot that, Denis Villeneuve shot that with Roger Deakins as he shot Sicario, which is a fucking beautiful, amazing film. And I got to say, man, um, I, I couldn't, and with, um, you know, Octay might scoff, but with Ryan Gosling adding to this universe and Harrison yeah. Ford is there and we'll see yeah, how yeah. that's going to work out with the mythology of this many versions of this movie um regardless i'm i'm very excited for the future blade runner movie in a way that i never would have been even a couple years ago where it's like why why do that you know but i i could this if they expand on this world and hopefully yeah. don't get 
if they don't get too tied down to the Deckard storyline, mm-hmm. um, that I just why wouldn't we want to see more stories in this universe? Because well, that's the thing we all agree on is the universe is fucking awesome in this movie. Oh yeah, so, yeah, and, and which which I, I hope they don't like go deep into uh, Deckard and trying to explain whether or not he's a replicant because yeah. one of the the most uh, interesting and fascinating aspects of Blade Runner is that you never truly know. Uh, and uh, that's that's one of the things that I think uh, the movie adaptation did a really good job of like adding into the, the mythology of the book is that um, in the book there are no replicants who don't know they're replicants. So uh, there are, I mean, there are, but um, it's, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, um, Deckard, uh, there's the the idea of Deckard being a replicant is brought up in the book, but it's also revealed that he isn't, that he's human. Uh, and the, the film, uh, the film version kind of leaves it like a lot more ambiguous. Like the the subject, like in the book, there's a whole chapter that deals with him taking the the void conf test uh, and him kind of like starting to think about like, am I a replicant? Am I real? Um, you know, but none of that really appears on the surface of the film. Here, it's just all like kind of implied with uh, dream imagery, like the unicorn imagery and all that stuff. Um, I so I, I find that to be a, a lot, you know, a lot more interesting in that sense. There, there's, there's some stuff that the movie takes from the book and, um, uh, and like improves on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, at, at the same time, the book itself is so um, just absurdly, deliciously weird. <laughs> that there's no way that it would have, you know, and Philip K. Dick admitted that himself. He was like, uh, he died, I think, a couple of weeks before the opening of the film. But, uh, yeah, that's fucked up. But uh, he Sad, saw, yeah. a couple months before it opened, he saw the work print version, I think, and he wrote an essay about it saying, like, how much he loved it, and it's a different story, but it's also supposed to be, like, he was like, my book is, like, almost unfilmable, or it's like, in at least then present day Hollywood, he was like, no one, no one would like make it the way it is. So, and, and he, he liked it. So uh, he was like, this is really exciting, really great, interesting stuff. And he kind of gave it a stamp of approval. And as far as that's concerned, I'm just like, well, you know, what the fuck do I have to complain about the, the guy, like <laughs> the guy who started it all, like really loved it. Um, but at the same time, there's some stuff in the book that I'm just like, oh man, like in modern times, maybe a lower budget, like more indie version of this would have been so fucked up because because like in the book like Deckard has a wife and do you know what his main motivation for going after the replicants like the bounty money like what is he going to use the bounty money on not at all I haven't it's, read the uh, book so. in, the, in the book um, real animals just like in the movie in a, in a way real animals are incredibly rare because of extinction so everybody oh. buys like, because of what overpopulation because yeah, people overpopulation just and extinction yeah. like real animals are gone so everybody buys replicant animals oh. and um his wife decker's wife is depressed and he and they have uh, and they're they're real i think they're real sheep like they, they live in a farm in the bay area somewhere and their sheep has their real sheep has died and he Deckard replaced it with a replicant sheep and his wife wants a real sheep. His wife is depressed because they don't have a real sheep and because everything is so artificial, they have no connection to reality anymore. So his wife is depressed about that. And the entire motivation for Deckard in the book is to kill all these replicants so he can buy his wife a real sheep. 
Oh wow! So that's the plot. So just of, money, just find, yeah. just earning a little extra and money. Not only just money, it's money to buy a sheep. That's the right. like driving and force th- of the book. Imagine <laughs> in 1982, you go into a pitch meeting, and you're like, "I want to make him. I want to make a hundred million dollar movie about this futuristic guy who wants to buy a real sheep by killing." You know how a bunch you do that robots. pitch meeting? You bring in that character that in Key and Peele, the one that uh, Peele plays to do the Gremlins two pitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's how <laughs> you do that. <laughs> None of that's making it in the movie. Everything made it in the movie. <laughs> Every single you one of them made it in the movie. You just put it down in front of a, a adjective, and you just said it. You have no <laughs> – it's so good, man. I love that. That's it's great. like veg- vegetable gremlin. How about like, – yeah. just, just throw a word out. We'll, we'll you have the mind of a child. Of it. it is in the movie. <laughs> but, yeah, the only way you can pitch that. Yeah, it, that's it, that's exactly right. You just bring that dude in. But, yeah, it's – it's uh, so it's like it, Philip stuff King, was pretty Philip King yeah. Dick understood it. He was just like, this is some weird shit like that I wrote. Like, and <laughs> no one's gonna like pay a hundred million dollars to make it. So um, it makes sense. But that, at, at the same, that move, that book has like so many weird ideas that it's uh, like it has like uh, it has like an underground police force that's run only by replicants in order oh, to wow. throw in order to throw Blade Runners off the scent of like the replicants that they're hi- they're they're. Uh, they're hunting and uh there's this weird religion that's based on like a hollywood uh personality so in a way philip k dick kind of predicted the cult of celebrity that we're living right. in now and all that stuff so there's there's some really i hope they mine that there. stuff for the, yeah, for the man, scene, it's, right the book has some like incredible weird ideas it's it's so far removed from the movie as far as tone is concerned mm-hmm. it's a lot more like absurdist and kind of tongue-in-cheek um so that's that's I mean as a fan of the book as well like watching Blade Runner with the the characters have the same names but you're just like it's so different so you you just I kind of have that like kind of dissonance um as well with it but uh but yeah I, I hope that maybe someday in the future someone will like pick up the ideas and change the names around or something I don't know but um right. but yeah, the, the, the it's book possible. Is, the book is really weird like genuinely weird and great and I highly recommend people to like read it uh from a completely different perspective from like leave Blade Runner out of your mind because it's it's so different um but yeah yeah that's uh so I I I really appreciate what it did uh there to create its own kind of universe right right well I mean what what do you guys think should we uh swing on over to a to a scanner darkly we should do it. We should also eventually pick an underrated Ridley Scott movie because we've done three overrated movies. Like, let's, oh, let's, sure, give the right. guy, let's give the guy a break. So, so what, is it, what did we do? We did Blade Runner, American Gangster. What's the other one? Yeah. Uh, the Martian was one of mine. Overrated. Oh, it's a year round. Year round. We've all picked a Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, awesome. we gotta, we gotta like give the dude his. his uh, What's an props. underrated what, what Ridley Scott movie? Like? Uh, for me, I, The Counselor or Hannibal, for me, I would say. I would say uh, Mastic Man. I would say Mastic Man. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, well, that yeah, was anyway, good, a good anyway. year. I'm not going to pick that. A good year, yeah. No. I mean, that was, yeah, that was cute. Whatever. No, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not going to defend yeah. it, but it was, you know, it was fine. Uh, but, yeah, that, for me, I think it would be Mastic Man. I was, or what's the one with Jeff uh, Black? Squall, the the sailing oh, movie. Oh, White Squall. White Squall. White Squall. Uh, yeah, that that movie was pretty good. I don't know if I would pick it underrated, but like nobody really knows about it. 
I think, well, Ryan, I think make... Black Rain is pretty fucking. Oh, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard my co-host and AYT says that that is a, a pretty cool movie, actually. But Ryan, Ryan makes a good point. We need to. It's we we sound like we hate Ridley Scott. Some some outsider <laughs> listeners might think we don't, but yeah, exactly, we don't. We don't. Um, I'm, we don't. I yeah. Alien is a fucking masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but it's so, not underrated. It's everybody exactly. knows it's a masterpiece, that, and it's great. It's, it wouldn't it's make his sense best film. That. It's exactly. it's definitely his best film still to me. Uh, and and the, that that whole like Ridley Scott sci-fi coldness like benefits that movie so much. Oh. Um, yeah, Alien is fucking great. Uh, right. All right, so, Let, yeah. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Total, 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 totally, total, total, total Providence. I am walking home. I find myself on the street. I am rarely on, and look, what I obtained for a mere fifty dollars. What is it? Oh, this would be an 18-speed bike of the all-terrain variety. I noticed it in a neighbor's yard, and I acquired, as to its availability, they have four of them. So I made a cash offer $50. They acquiesced. They actually threw in these lemon-yellow racing pants. They actually even hoisted it over the fence for me, which I found to be very neighborly. Well, that's weird. I didn't know you could get an 18-speed bike nearly new for $50. It's amazing what you can get for $50. I'll give you 60 right now, no questions asked. You know, this bike looks a lot like the bike that this girl lives across the street from me had that got ripped off about a month ago. This bike could be hot. They probably jacked it, these hoister friends of yours. Sure they did. I mean, if they've got four and selling it that cheap. Right? You should at least show it to her so she could see if it's hers. Yeah. Okay, I can do that, but this is a boy's bike. Okay, so it can't be not to invalidate your intuition, but it's not possible. Thank you. So let's uh, let's switch on over to. Um, I'd like to start um, and just go right back to you, Octay. With you, you had you had said that a scanner darkly is. Um, uh, forgive me, the, the most faithful to faithful, the tone loyal, or to the yeah. style mm-hmm. of Philip K. Dick. I guess I'd love to start right there. I think that's a great place because uh, something I do know um, f- just reading about Philip K. Dick is that a lot of these movies that have been adapted from his work tend to stray quite a ways a lot, as yeah. just like le- a lot. But um, you're saying that's not the case with the scanner darkly. And um, I'd love to know, I'd love to know that, but also um, why, you know, right, right to the point. Why is this an underrated film? Well, it's uh, it got pretty decent reviews when it came out. I don't know how much business it, it made, but um, I think as far as, you know, good hard sci-fi uh, stories and film are so scarce compared to novels because anybody can sit down and write a, novel that's like very kind of philosophically heavy-handed but also has like all these fantastical and amazing stuff in it but you transfer that to a movie and you you know you 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 create a world where you have to spend like 150 200 million dollars you're gonna have to be go a little bit more mainstream and that's what a lot of like philip k dick adaptations have done they basically the big budget philip k dick stuff they take the general concept of the novel or the book that they're adapting and they basically change everything else around uh, that's the case with um, Total Recall. That's the case with Minority Report. Um, whatever one that you can possibly think of. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau. Uh, you know, like the Adjustment Bureau is only like a nine or ten page story or something. It's just a... So the, the whole point is that with the Hollywood adaptations of Philip K. Dick stories and books, uh, they just take the, the general concept and they turn that into like, oh, this would be cool to turn into like a sci-fi action uh, movie, uh, whereas like Philip K. Dick's actual material is so much more philosophically, and uh, later on in his career, so much so theologically complex uh, that the only way you could really do it justice is by going the indie route. And I feel like 
Richard Linklater did uh, did the right choice by picking Scanner Darkly, which I think is Philip K. Dick's last great uh, novel. Um, I think it's the fourth or fifth novel before he, like, before his death. Um, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's kind of it's more like speculative fiction more than science fiction, and it really goes into it's it's like one of his most personal books because it really goes into like his experiences um using drugs with his friends and how destructive that became and how they get in trouble with the law and how like paranoid they became and how it like affected their health so terribly and it's just it's a very personal story told from uh told through the perspective of the same kind of philip k dick themes of you know paranoia people are watching you um your uh your privacy is like under attack and um like this pre- pretty dystopian view with the future and also like the drugs and influences that like kind of splinter your mind and you start you know the 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 fickleness of like i said the the fragility and the fickleness of reality of of human subjective reality is is a very um big theme with Philip K Dick. And right. I think this is the this is the, one of the things that I really love about it is that yeah, it's it's, it's loyal to the to the book. It's 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 as you know um kind of fragmented and it's uh, it's as kind of somber uh and absurd as the book is. Like they he did an amazing job capturing the characters and the situations and with the, without without like attempting to cram in like a more mainstream story structure uh to the book uh that might kind of like turn off some people like a lot of people who are not really into this is this is the movie that i feel like people who are not really into philip k dick are kind of like ah, i don't know what this is about like this is the one that you know kind of mm. turns people off like you can sit down anybody and have them watch total recall no problem but right. uh, but yeah, this is the one that kind of like really gets into the cerebral part of Philip K. Dick's work, and it's the only one that I can think of uh, apart from like the Man in the High Castle show. I don't know if you guys did. You guys watch? Uh, that? I've been not yet. I've been dying to. Ryan, have you seen that at all? Not yet. No. Yeah, it's like, I hear it's great. You were saying it was really good, good, right, Octa? It's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's stretched out too much. I would have okay. I would have preferred it if it was like a five five hours miniseries or something like that. But right. but apart from a scanner darkly, Man in the High Castle is the other one that's like pretty loyal to the that's source great. material that also Because that like, book's incredible. That book's so good, man. It that oh. book is great. And and the show in, incorporates a lot of the weird shit in that book, which I was really not expecting. Right. Um like the I Ching and parallel universes and shit like that. So it's 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 great. Oh wow. Wow um, okay but but yeah it's but going back to Scanner Darkly I think I think it's he did a great job of adapting the book of capturing the the kind of paranoia of drug addiction and the characters and and also like I feel like the the rotoscope animation um a lot of Philip K Dick's work is like is like a lucid dream like a lucid dream is like a very big theme in Philip K Dick's work and uh where it's like the, the reality and uh, dream reality kind of mesh together in a way, and I feel like the this this kind of real but not real rotoscope animation style is like perfect to adapt Philip K. Dick's work. Like I I would love to see um, a bunch of others uh, of his work. Like you know I feel like a lot of his work should be adapted in this style, and I'm like kind of. 
I'm kind of disappointed that Richard Linklater didn't follow through after Scanner Darkly and, uh, you know, kept maybe, like, like the before Sunrise or before Sunset movies, like, you know, it would have been great if he kept adapting, like, other books in this style. Uh, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed out uh, the movie we talked about as our overrated last episode, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, we had talked about how Ralph Bakshi thought an animated version was yeah. the way to go. I mean, fucking Richard Linklater could have possibly done it like this, and it might have mm-hmm. been a better movie than what Gilliam produced. I mean, I don't know, possibly. That's true. So, so anyway, what would you guys, um, you know, what you guys think of? Uh, you, you've already, have have you both already had had you already seen this before? Oh yeah, I had seen it before, and uh, it's yeah, I I really like this movie, and it's it's and I guess it's shocking. It shouldn't be because I love Richard Linklater, but it's like if you kind of made the Mount Rushmore of Philip K. Dick adaptations. I, I guess for me it would be Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, and this. And then Two, you'd be like, yeah. okay, yeah. And then you'd be like, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, um, Paul Verhoeven. And then it's like, well, one of these things are not like the other. Because <laughs> it's just <laughs> later. Because it's like later. The guy who is allergic to plot, the guy who's, you yeah. know, all about this sort of like minutia of life. And then, you know, here comes this. As you say, Octa, I haven't read the book, but as from what you say, faithful adaptation of this novel, completely animated, which I haven't seen Waking Life, which, which I believe it's the same style, right, of animation? It's, uh, it's, it's okay. kind of Waking Life uses um, every scene in Waking Life is done by a different animator, so it's a lot more like kind of episodic and uh, like bunch of jumps from style to style. This one has a more uniform, like singular style of uh, animation. Okay, it makes sense. But, but essentially, is... Waking Life was like the test run for this. Like you yeah, could I tell, so. he, yeah. he learned. It, it seems like he learned how to use it best for the for by the time he got to this. Okay, cool. That makes sense. But what's also crazy too? I, well, not crazy necessarily, but I, I'm watching the movie and there's at least sequences where I'm like, okay, I can, I see, you know, I see Linklater's touch on this. Like the scenes where the all the the junkheads are like just kind of you know, fucking around or doing dumb stuff that they're high and paranoid and just kind of rambling on. I was like, okay, this is totally in Linklater's wheelhouse. This is totally to his sensibility. And they're all in it's the book, too. Movie. Yeah, it's a hangout it's, movie it's, at times, it, for sure. It is a hangout movie. I mean, it's reminiscent of, like, I mean, of Linklater's films. I also, you know, liken it um, positively to uh, something like Train Spotting. also, oh. uh, I would say, or even Requiem for a Dream, though I think this one is, you know, as dark as this movie is, it can be pretty funny at times too. So I, I got to give it credit for that. And um, I think all the performances across the board are like really, really solid in this movie. I think uh, Keanu Reeves is really good. Yeah. I don't think he gives enough like it's easy to sit here and be like, okay, Robert Downey Jr. is great in it because why wouldn't he be? But then it's right. like, and Woody Harrelson and Winona Ryder, but Keanu Reeves just seems to get shit from people. And He's I, great. I think He's he's really good. I think this is one of his best roles. I agree. To be I think so. he, did, he does mean... he does confused really well. Yeah, I'm not being like you know just I'm not trying to like make fun of him or anything. It's 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 true. It's like it, he does that really well. He does that like kind of guy who's just like, what the fuck am I doing? And like this this is a story that like gradually it's about someone basically losing his mind through drugs and can't even discern between reality and. Uh, you know, uh, irreality and fantasy. Uh, so it's like it's it's he, it's perfect for him. Like right. he's he's pretty stoic and pretty like just confused and fucked up the whole time, which is what the 
that character is supposed to be. And I think I think he does a really good job. And I think Winona Ryder does a good job as like this kind of shifty, paranoid girl. And there's some revelations about her character as well that I I find to be really interesting. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. What I love about it is like his last like kind of crazy go for broke like indie performance before he became like this huge. Uh, it was like this and star. Zodiac. Yes, yeah. this and Zodiac were the big... And Kiss Kiss like, oh, Bang yeah. Bang. Oh, yep, there you go. Kiss exactly Kiss where Bang it was Bang. like... It was like, oh, everybody was reminded of him. And then, yeah, Iron Man happened and he hasn't looked back. I mean, it's that and Sherlock, basically, right? And then and the soloist. the uh, or, Right, uh, and then that yeah. Todd Phillips movie, uh, Due Date, he did that. And that's yeah, kind of yeah, it. But, but, but he never went, right. went back to this kind of like weird go for broke. Like, he's really fucking... is a perfect role. And off-putting... Yeah. In this, it's 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 perfectly tailored for his like kind of narcissistic, uh, you know, like uh, archetype that he plays in films. But it's done in a way that's just like, you know, it's almost like a realistic version of that character where you'd be like, yeah, in real life, someone like that would be like incredibly annoying and maybe even dangerous. Right. Like, like we yeah. we, all, we all know that one guy who's just like, yeah, man, I'll find the like. He's always like, you know, I'll find the quick fix for this, and let me like <laughs> take care of it. And you know, I got this, I got this. And then it's like ninety percent like, of the time, it's a total fuck up. Right. He's like too smart for his own good. Yeah, yet exactly. he's he's a junkie just like the rest of them. Yeah. It's it is a really I love um a lot of that hangout dynamic in the film, and some of it you get from surveillance videos, which is really appropriate for the film, you know, and the themes of it. And like, I found myself laughing like aloud, like every 10 or 15 minutes in this movie with their little misadventures. And that is where it really does feel like, yeah, this now I understand why Richard Linklater would both be attracted and also as a filmmaker that he could see how to tell the story that's, you know, that fits for him. You you start to see it. And then where the movie gets really surprising, especially if you are familiar and even more so if you're a fan of Richard Linklater, this movie becomes really exciting because he doesn't let the plot kick in. The plot is like seeping in. It's like trying to, mm-hmm. but it's almost like the drugs the characters are taking for the first two thirds are like keeping the plot from showing up. <laughs> and then it then it comes and he he allows the plot to kick in and it works in a way that I think a lot of movies will sort of force elements to get a plot started in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And it works here because... Um, it all the plot is essentially what would be the equivalent of like a paranoid drug delusion, like a paranoid conspiracy theory. Like the people that want to treat us junkies are the people that are making the drugs, you know, but that's what the story becomes. Mm-hmm. And it's such a smooth transition to go from um, a sort of um, one that doesn't look like a typical, but for a lot of it is a sort of typical druggy hangout movie. It's not typical, but hits certain beats. It's like, okay, they get high. They're trying to get their fix. And there's all these other elements going on in the background with uh, the, the Keanu Reeves character, but um, it really kicks in. And then it's, I don't know. I love the way it can be this like druggy hangout movie. And then the paranoid delusion that would come as you're coming down off of something is the plot that kicks in in the movie. And man, just as the movie almost starts to lull for me a little bit, like it happened because for me on this rewatch where I was like, you, you get to about an hour and 20 minutes and I'm like, okay, like I, I remember that there's some twists to this movie and the twists, there's like multiple twists or multiple reveals that work so well for me in this movie. They expand the world. They make it bigger than I would actually argue what happens in Blade Runner as beautiful visually as Blade Runner is and the world building is it actually feels like a kind of small contained world. Whereas 
Scanner Darkly, by the end, if you think about that last shot of the movie, it kind of opens up the world and you're like, wow, their reach is so far. And what if that paranoid drug delusion actually turned out to be true? It makes for a pretty exciting sort of wrap-up to this well, movie. Well, that, that premise is like half of Philip K. Dick's books anyway. What if this paranoid right, right. drug fantasy turned out to be real? Because that's pretty much how he wrote. Like, he would take, like, amphetamines and, like, lock himself in a in a... In a a cabin and wouldn't come out for like two weeks until he finished the book or something so it was just like it's a bunch of like uh, drug crazed uh, <laughs> like delusions that way like the the dude was like i mean i i love his work but mm. the dude was legitimately crazy um and <laughs> i'd like to well what ryan was saying about keanu reeves just quickly is like yeah. i think he does deserve a shout out i think this is really one of his great roles it's it's he's perfectly cast but also, um, I think Linklater, one of my favorite things about this movie is the close-ups and the way the graphic novel rotoscope animation that that looks like a moving graphic novel, mm-hmm. the way that that captures all the close-ups of Keanu's face when he's wearing that, like, um, what do they call it? The suit? Scramble the, uh, suit. That is great. I love that that can be done so cheaply with animation as opposed to, like Octa said, this movie otherwise would have required hundreds of millions of dollars just to... It would have had to be like more mainstream and... Exactly. Everything, the the edges would have been rounded off. Exactly. exactly. You got to keep that, but also um, it's effective for those means, like practically to get like uh, sci-fi elements in there, but also the animation, like Keanu Reeves, like it the camera really loves him. Like he's a, what makes him such a great presence, maybe not always the best actor technically, but what makes him, I think sometimes great and also just fascinating is the camera loves him and his, his like link later really takes advantage of um, those close-ups, man. I, it's like some of my favorite stuff in this movie is just close-ups of Keanu Reeves, like in his scramble suit. I just, I love that stuff. Yeah, where, so. where he can hold like, the screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah That's true. Absolutely. He, he does get a lot of shit and it's like actually sort of short-sighted to or it's reductive because um like the guy actually is a movie star for a reason and we don't really have movie stars anymore and i really appreciate a keanu reeves more and more these days when he can make something like a john wick like so much more than the serviceable like programmer action movie that it should have been he made it like something something worth watching and uh yeah i think i think he does get too much shit and this is a this is a scanner darkly is a great example of something that he's uh, like legitimately really good in and perfect for you use him wisely and he's fucking great so yeah i, th- I think they did a really good uh, he did a he did a great job of using him as it's it's every, every single part is like to me it's like perfect casting including like woody harrelson as like the the yeah. the, the, the uh the dumb stoner uh type that he does really well. Um, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Rory Cochran. Yeah, Slater. Uh, yeah. Uh, from, yeah, the Days and Confused. It's to get better, it's, man. Do, 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 you guys, do you guys think, like, he's, like, the grown-up version of that character, kind of? Like, getting Probably. To, getting <laughs> a little harder, bit, yeah. Stuff, you can see a sort of parts. analog, like, that's what Slater grew up into. <laughs> if, if, he, if Slater ended up in a Philip K. Dick universe, sadly, that is probably oh, what would that happen. Scene, that scene where he's on the painkillers and yeah. the there's like a, alien being comes yeah but then it's like a being from another dimension comes and reads him the list of sins that he's performed and like <laughs> what they say like after 17 hours later they finally got to sixth grade where he discovered masturbation a, a, a thousand hours a thousand, <laughs> thousand hours, hours later. later oh god that's right yeah, it was something yeah. huge and he's like just that like, oh, yeah. i should have i shouldn't have taken the pills but that that's great <laughs> that's like that's like word by word taken from the book that's my favorite oh, wow. chapter 
That's my favorite chapter in the book. And I was so sure before I went to see the movie, even though I knew that it's like, oh, it's a lower budget indie type stuff. Like, you know, so it's probably, maybe it'll be more uh, faithful to the source material. But that, that you know, like, but then you're, you're just like, well, they're not going to use any scenes that have nothing to do with the story that can be easily taken out. But this, you know, because in the book as well, it just like kind of comes out of nowhere. But it's, it's just so... Yeah weird and like just perfectly philip k dick that i really love that scene and i was just like i was so surprised that like i was like so uh uh happily surprised that that it made it into the movie and they did such a good job of like they used the that's the only time they use narration because philip k uh, uh richard linkletter must have realized that the the text of that chapter is just so like beautifully written like the absurdity of the situation that there was no other way to like get around it without the narration and the the creature that described in the book is like exactly the way i like imagined like that's in the movie it's Mm -hmm. uh it's it's like so that 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 kind of stuff that i really appreciate and i feel like yeah if it had a little bit of a bigger budget uh if it was done like in live action where they didn't do this like kind of motion moving uh graphic novel kind of style yeah like all that stuff would have been taken out and um uh, the plot would have kicked in much earlier i feel like yeah the ending of this movie in a more mainstream film would have been like the first act break uh in another or like a halfway point like a midpoint like a second act break at most but there will be more developments and i i I love how you you uh you brought up like the idea of like eric you brought up the idea of like it's like the plot tries to kick in but the characters are like it's like yeah it's like the characters are so confused and fucked up that the plot can't find a way to get in there up yeah. until kind of the worry end like there's like drops of it here and there and then at the last 10 minutes you start to figure out like oh this thing is way bigger than what you've seen so far and i love stories like i have a soft spot also for stories where uh where you know there's like some kind of mystery and some kind of like puppet master pulling the strings and you never really see the puppet master you never really see Yep. exactly who the big bad guy is exactly who's pulling the strings which is the the way it is in real life i mean um, the, did you notice who the closest equivalent to that is that guy at the end that talks to keanu um yeah, yeah. in the when keanu reeves finds the flower at the end of the the last mm-hmm. scene did you notice who that actor was by chance yeah, now that boyhood, boyhood right? yeah the dad the the jerk stepdad that yeah, beat patricia arquette yeah exactly i was like I was like, motherfucker, you are evil. You should be the head of this <laughs> new path. That was him. And, um, it was him all along. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, weird, the weird thing is the scene and his scene in Scanner Darkly was shot like, I think, two years after his scenes in Boyhood was shot. Just something I want to bring so up weird. is like this movie. This is only one of the great movies that Richard Linklater made while making perhaps his like ultimate statement on film in yeah. Boyhood. Like the dude made fucking two of his before movies before Sunset and Midnight. He made uh, School of Rock, which is great. Yeah. He made mm-hmm. this film. I think da- Fast Days and Confused, Slacker. Da- well, no, Days. Th- those movies came out in the nineties. I'm talking oh, when he was literally. Right before, yeah. When he was making Boyhood, the 12 years it took Boyhood, he was shooting that while he made movies like Scanner Darkly. And and that's pretty incredible. You know, like Boyhood only took a few weeks, as I understand, each year that they would do a a, a year, you know, for for the film. But uh, it's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty impressive. Technically, you could call like either Boyhood a giant side project, or all these movies were the side projects while he made the grand thing. And wow, um, because as much as I love Boyhood, I mean, the before sequels are some of his best work. I love Scanner Darkly. Um, School of Rock is such a great mainstream movie. It's it's pretty impressive, and, and it really and just big, big shout out to everybody who wants some. Yeah, yes. exactly, dude. Yeah. The guy is on such a roll that he's made three, f- three fantastic films in a row. And mm-hmm. Bernie before that, before um, before Midnight, was pretty good too. Like, yeah, that was good. really, what I'm saying is Richard Linklater is sneakily maybe become one of the best filmmakers, producing like consistent yes. quality and varied yes. work. Uh, Agreed. And I think it's a good time to revisit this movie because I really do believe. Um, when Before Midnight came out, because we're in, a, you know, sort of a new generation of like, with, you know, with the Internet and like film discussion that I feel like people with anticipating Before Midnight's release and how acclaimed that movie was discovered the first two movies. Yes. And then, you know, picked up more of a following and that like helped Boyhood become such a like good indie crossover success. And, you know, everybody wants some will find an audience eventually. I, I know it will. It will. Yeah. But I, it's I think too good that, not to. It's too good. Not it's, to. It is too and, good. And also, not like, to. That's you know, uh, there, there are other reasons you know, apart from like the, uh, you know, catching up with Richard Linklater um, because of his recent successes and which is like it's it's great I and mean, people should um if you're not really familiar with him people should always like catch up with his with his work and more often than not they're they're hits more than misses he has made some underwhelming films but those like the Definitely. numbers of those are like so much smaller than his like really good to great uh films uh you know like like for example a scanner darkly came out the same year as fast food nation which is probably like his at least his most like you know um, underwhelming film. It's maybe a lesser one of his worst. It's not awful though. I think it has moments that really do work. The yeah. Greg Kinnear stuff in that movie, some of that works well. And yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, stuff it's in sort it of that's, like interesting. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, compared to like considering they both came out the same year, like a Scanner Dark right. was so much, so much better. And, and it also stands out the most out of all his movies. Yeah, you know, like it really is something different. It's the anomaly the, of yeah. his films, for sure. Exactly. Which I should also want to shout out watching it, you know, seeing when this movie came out and even watching it again today, that this movie, the timelessness of this movie is incredible. Yeah. Like, I feel like that just deserves such a shout out because, yeah. you know, it, it came out in 2006, a perfect time to release this crazy paranoia movie. You know, we were in the second, second, uh, Bush era of the Bush administration. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Patriot on. Act. Yeah, Iraq War is still going on. Patri- yeah, Patriot Act. Privacy and being like torn now- down, which is like, it's a lot worse now, but people aren't as aware of it or people aren't making as much of a, you know, we're almost kind of like lulled into accepting the new status quo. And a this came bit, out at a time when people have... were like angry about it. Right. And now we have like, you know, cell phone hacks. Is Apple going to let people get into your iPhones? You know, sort of like surveillance like that. So it's just, you know, this the the timelessness and the paranoia of this movie is going to it will stand the test of time. Why the the story takes place like only seven years after like the the story takes place in like 2013. It's yeah, like it just says seven years from now. That's all it says. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't put a date on it. And as much as I, you know, love Blade Runner, um, you know, one one knock I can give on that movie, despite the the gorgeous aesthetic of that movie, it looks like it looks like 1982's version of what 2019 would look yes, like. Right. You know what I mean? And like, it doesn't mean that it's not visually incredible, but it's like 
we're three years from that. It's not going to look like that, you know. It's like, this, 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 I'm still waiting for my t- hoverboard, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, by making it like smaller scale and not you know crazy technological that it it's gonna age incredibly well i mean they have these scramble suits but yet the cars they drive are piece of shit regular cars and their houses are look no different they're they're using like flip phones and yeah so there's like this weird like past and future like mixing together that stuff ages the best always right yeah Yeah, i just i just feel like visually it always looks the best for sure yeah like exactly it reminded me of uh, yeah, like like children of men around the time when it's supposed to take place, and you're gonna be like, well, it's not that different. <laughs> exactly, it reminded me of the Rover too, the yes. David Cage yes. movie, where it's like they're just driving normal trucks and cars, and it never says specifies exactly what year it takes place. It t- just ten years after the collapse. Okay, when is that? That's and it's true. Perfect. Yeah, and which adds to that timeless of both films i think i think that's a very good point it's like there will always be some time that will cycle back where we're gonna find some relevancy to a a, such a well-told paranoid story like this it's uh yeah it's pretty great man um that's that's a second reason to like catch up with a scanner darkly uh the you know the first is the richard Linklater just like catching up with his stuff again uh, after it's like two great movies that came out recently three actually everybody wants some boyhood and before midnight i think is that amazing those are three they're, they're great movies. films all three of them yeah. like, oh, like i would say great man. films yeah. and you know this is the time to like go back into his filmography and the second reason like you said ryan is the that the, the prescient quality of the the film's themes which you know you're talking about the film is 2006 the book is 1977 God damn and yeah. think about all the way back in 1977 how yep. uh you know that that happens a lot with philip k dick's books you'll read a book that he wrote in like 1962 and you're just like he's talking about today like it's as if he had like some kind of wormhole to come and see like you <laughs> know uh it's 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 so weird to read some of his stuff and you're just like this is exactly what happened within the next <laughs> within the following like 40 50 years or whatever but, Which yeah, is the shame of that he died, as you said, before Blade Runner came out. It's like yeah. maybe it was just had to be that way, but it's like this guy would have had some validation for the work he strove. Well, you know, the, 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 the list of friends that he writes down at the end of the book, which is in the movie as well, uh, that same, the same exact ending, word by mm-hmm. word. Uh, he mentions also, you know, like one of the names that he mentions is himself, where it says, like, you know, Philip, uh-huh. uh, pancreatic failure. You know, like he knew he was dying, basically. Right. Uh, even oh wow. Even back then, and um, yeah, that's. I think I feel like that's the second reason. The third reason, I, f- I think, there's a resurgence of Philip K. Dick property recently uh, with Man in the High Castle and uh, Minority Report TV show. Minority Report, there's a TV which I've Adjustment Bureau wasn't with. that long ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there, and apparently there's a uh, which I'm really paycheck. Want want. <laughs> 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 You remember you that go. one, motherfuckers? There you go. Talk, talk about taking the general concept and Ooh. turning it into a shitty movie. Yeah, um, well, that's a good lead into our next uh, hey. episode. Yeah, there, there you go. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time Read to my catch mind. up with this stuff. Okay, apparently, there's going to be like some anthology series. Uh, I read some article. There's going to be an anthology series based on his short stories. Like Each episode is going to be based on one of his short stories, which that's that show can go on for like 10 seasons because he had so many... like. Like I have four four giant volumes filled with only his short stories, and some of them are as short as like nine ten pages. So there's a lot to mine there, and That's apparently awesome. uh, Brian Cranston 
is going to be in it. So I feel like if it's an intelligence show, if Brian Cranston is going to be in every episode, is he going to be kind of like the Rod Serling of the show? Like he's going to be the narrator? Interesting. It's uh, yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, that so sounds, much potential there. That man, sounds right? fucking amazing. So hopefully, one of the episodes is at least going to be a uh, rotoscope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Give Link later a shot if he's got time. You know. Yeah. So, so so three prong, strong reasons to get back into to uh, catch up with Scanner Darkly again. You're and it's here, a film man. that has aged aged incredibly well, in my opinion. Yeah. Definitely, very well put. Um, any other closing thoughts? I feel like we're at we're we're hitting a good wrapping up point. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we're I think Ryan. We're anything? Ryan, did you wanna did you wanna throw anything else out there? Just watch this movie. <laughs> well put. <laughs> I will just what? say my closing thought. I agree with that. Is um, uh, I forgot great use of one of my favorite Tom York songs uh, at the end credits. Black, oh, Black Swan. Swan. That's a great song. Oh, yeah. Such a good song, man. You know, that same year, I think The Prestige came out the same year. And uh, uh, Nolan, too. Yep. yeah, I think he used Analyze off that same album, The Eraser. The Eraser. So just a, yeah, shout out for Tom York's first solo album, The That's Eraser. That's a cool it's ass pretty, minimalist uh, album. I still listen to it. it. I do too, man. It's really, it's really great. And I've liked it more than his other subsequent solo stuff. Um, but yeah, that Black Swan is a really. It's it's another reason I'm like the ending of this movie is so fucking good and it's like you you put a great song at the end it you really catches it, it has it has a beautiful final shot it has the oh, the code the coda the emotionally like heartbreaking coda from the book right. it's a, it has it has a beautiful there. beautiful ending it's all there are you just plugging the new Radiohead album <laughs> <laughs> I still need to listen to it I hear it's great but uh, yeah should. that's yeah I hear it's I hear good things well PTA um, directed yeah. the video right the the new video. Did yeah, yeah. All right, very good. It. Well, now that we're talking about Radiohead, I think we need to. It's, 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 <laughs> we're spin it off. Let's let's uh, spin back into our conclusion of the, the episode. The, the plot here. is just trying to get into the episode, and we're so <laughs> fucked up. We're not letting it happen. Yeah, we got Robert Downey Jr. into this podcast. He's 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 sending us on tangents left, right, and center. So um, we'll get Woody Harrelson in here to fight him, fight with him, and you know, <laughs> then we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, let's wrap up this episode number forty-eight of Over Under Movies. Um, uh, before we do properly sign off, I should say uh, a few things uh, before I announce my uh, it'll be my picks uh, for the next episode. But before I do that, let's let's of course give thanks to our. Our leaders at the playlist. the The new website is, of course, uh, theplaylist.net. That is yeah. where we have gone independent, and uh, we've got our podcast tab there. And of course, there's the playlist podcast iTunes feed, where you can get all new episodes of Over Under movies first, and then we eventually let them on our our original Over Unders iTunes feed. We're also on SoundCloud. If that's your chosen streaming or downloading, um, you know, podcast option, that's it's available there. But uh, yeah, check out theplaylist.net and check out the other shows we have on the network there, but also all the cool shit on the website. I, I really love the – I don't know if you guys I'm, – I'm assuming you've probably looked at it a lot. The, just oh, yeah. the new website is such an improvement over the last one. Oh, so. and also yeah. uh, Ryan Ryan's uh, contributing to the website now. And, and so good to have I you right now there. Love that's, that's, thank you. That's so cool. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, so it's look, exciting. Look out for his stuff. That's right. Look for everybody's stuff there. Um, but uh, yeah, so for let's uh, let's get the teases for the next episode out of the way. Um, Ryan had said it. I, I brought up paycheck. That is, of course, a John Woo joint. You may or may not remember. Not one of his more successful uh, ones. Many of those American ventures didn't work out so well for him. But uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the one that really broke him out. Um, 
maybe you could argue uh, the uh, a better tomorrow series might have done that. But I would say the killer, uh, his 1987, 88 film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's in there um, really broke him out. That is, believe it or not, uh, I'm going to call that movie my overrated for next episode. Yeah. So maybe I'm going to have to join you, Octave, for that witness protection program, because I know a lot. (laughs) People love that movie. Yeah. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, but I think it's pretty fucking cheesy and has not aged well like Scanner Darkly. So uh, so we'll talk about that. That's the overrated pick. The underrated is going to be one, um, as Ryan said, off mic, digging deep, I am here. It's a movie that's not really available in the American market. It's much more difficult to find, but no less uh, worthy of your attention and seeking it out if you have the means, if you know what I mean. Uh, and it is the South Korean film, A Bittersweet Life. Uh, this is from director Kim Ji-woon. He made I Saw the Devils, a movie I think a lot of people heard about. Um, he made, of course, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Last Stand. That was his English language debut. Um, so that is that director, one of the preeminent South Korean like new wave directors. I would argue Bittersweet Life is his best film. Uh, so very excited. You guys haven't seen that one, so I'm excited for us to dive yeah, into really that. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, but uh, So look forward to that. Catch up with those films if you have the opportunity. And then, of course, tune in. We'll be back in a couple weeks, no doubt. But uh, why don't we sign off? I am Eric McClanahan. I'm a film critic for The Playlist. I'm the podcast editor there. And I also write for Oregon Arts Watch. And my other podcast is Adjust Your Tracking. Signing off is Ryan Oliver. I contribute here at The Playlist. And I host another podcast called Unspooled Real. Yeah. And this is Octavia Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor for... The Oregon Herald, uh, DVD Talk, The Playlist, and BayasParta.com. There you go. And, uh, I, you know, forgive Ryan. It sounded like he needed to take a drink of water. Maybe too much substance D in your diet today. I don't know, man. It's, it's hard <laughs> no. to know. Is your, is your, surprised. your brain splitting into two? Uh, Ryan, grab two identical uh, <laughs> elephant figures <laughs> and let me know if they feel the same in the, in each hand. What? Am I, am I, <laughs> what? Two hey, hemispheres dude, you have, of my brain you have working two against brain each cells other? Left. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> the rest so is just like firing. I, I like have synapses. I have two. You can also you can also find us uh, on Twitter at overundermovies and on Facebook.com slash overundermovies. Just to sneak those in there. Well done, sir. Well, uh, let's leave it there, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.